we are continuing in a series that we're on this month, just talking about spiritual disciplines. You know, and that word discipline, um, it can mean like, hey, you're, you're in trouble, you're being disciplined. But a discipline is also something we can choose. Like I wanna instill habits, practices in my life that are beneficial for me. And so we're talking about spiritual disciplines, choices that we make that help us grow as disciples of Jesus. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about the discipline of being in God's word, um, reading it consistently, meditating upon it, like absorbing it, spending time with it, studying God's word. Um, And then last week, we talked about the importance of worship, Um, not just our Sunday morning gathering and singing together, but a life of worship, spending time just beholding God, adoring him and cultivating a heart and a lifestyle of worship. And so this morning, we're gonna talk about prayer. And man, if you can just hold on to everything Greg just shared and then prayed over us, I mean, that's, that's the foundation. It's God's love extended towards us. Prayer is a way that we um, walk out that relationship. We engage with this God who loves us. And so we're gonna talk about prayer this morning. We could spend... I mean, a year preaching on the topic of prayer. And so I don't think by any means I'm gonna capture everything there is to say about prayer this morning, but I do wanna wanna grab hold of a couple of key things this morning as we talk about cultivating a heart and a lifestyle of prayer. So if you you wanna follow in your Bible, you can do that. We'll have scriptures on the screen, but our primary passage is gonna be Genesis 18, Genesis 18. And then if you wanna turn there, I'm, I'm just gonna pray one more time Um, And just ask the Lord to really come in and give us his heart on prayer, helping us to to see this relationship that he's inviting us into. And, And my hope for all of us is wherever we're at in our walk with him, we would hear his invitation. If prayer is, is familiar to us, if it's a habit, a routine in our life, that we would just enjoy that and step into it further, be encouraged to persevere in prayer. Um, if that's an area where we feel conviction, like when somebody just says the word pray, you just immediately think, oh, I don't do that enough. You know, that's t- I tend to do that. I tend to think, man, I fall short in that area. Um, no shame this morning. It's an invitation to spend time with God. So Lord, would you just come and speak to us through your word in this place today? God, help us to recognize your presence, that you're always here and available. And God, I, I pray that... that um, when we view prayer, we wouldn't think about it as a chore. God, we would recognize it's an invitation to spend time with you, the God who loves us. May we hear that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So the first, the first point we're gonna make this morning about prayer is that it's about awareness. It's about awareness. It's about being attentive Um, And as often happens, and you guys have probably heard like lots and lots of Micah stories at this point in our church history. Um, I talk about my son all the time, but the Lord teaches me through him constantly. And so uh, this week, spending time up at Norris Lake and we did some kayaking and um, Micah and my daughter, Emily, got a little bit ahead of the rest of us. And so they took off. I mean, they're kind of the little athletes in our family. And so they took off and got down the, the bend and got into this little spot. And, and so Emily started getting nervous that they were getting too far away from us. And so she was telling Micah, like, we got to turn, we got to turn around. But he, he just had kind of stopped 
And he looked at her and he kind of went like this. And she said, dad, he just kind of put his finger over his lips and told me to be quiet for a minute. And then he made like a sign for a bird. And he was just wanting to stop and sit and pay attention to the beauty of what was around him. And I love that. Just slow down, be attentive, enjoy this moment. Don't just race to the next thing. And like, that's kind of all of point number one. We could stop there with Micah's example, but, but God wants to invite us. He wants to open up our awareness, our eyes to be attentive to him. And so prayer isn't first something that we do. It's an awareness that we have. And so check this out. Genesis chapter 18, um, Abraham has been approached by three men. In fact, he's already spent some time kind of, kind of serving them. And, and we'll see a bit more of that in a minute. We're gonna start kind of in the middle of the story. Um, but as these men are getting ready to go, one of these three figures that Abraham has encountered is, is God. It's probably Jesus in the Old Testament making an appearance. And so here's Abraham and he's, he's eager for this moment to just stay. And so in Genesis 18, verse 22, we pick it up and it says, the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near. I love just the simplicity of that. He recognized that God has showed up to spend some time with him and he didn't want the moment to end. It is so rare for me in moments of prayer to have that mentality. So rare for me to, to like want to sit, want to linger. But Abraham recognized God's here and he, he didn't want to move on. And so he not only purposed to just stay there for a minute, like I'm going to spend this time with God. I'm going to get as much time as I can. He took a step closer. He drew near. And it was like Abraham understood a principle that God has laid out for all of us. James talks about this in the New Testament, in James 4, 8. He says very simply, draw near to God. And what's gonna happen? He draws near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James isn't just talking about like, get your stuff together so you can be with God. No, he started by saying, draw near to God. What he's really saying is, let all of the things that keep you from being with the Lord, let those things be dealt with. Let them fall away. Be singly focused. That's what he's saying. If there's sin that's gumming things up, like if that's, if that's creating an obstacle to being in God's presence, guys, that's been dealt with. Jesus dealt with that. How many times in my life have I been ripped off from being in God's presence because I'm just aware there's something between us? Maybe I've just been drifting. I've been ignoring him. Maybe I know for a fact a big mistake I've made or even some like ongoing sin that I'm not dealing with. And I allow it to create this gap between me and him. And I, I pull back. Like the scripture does teach that our sin separates us from him but it also teaches that Jesus has bridged that gap. He's dealt with it. Yes, so we can be forgiven and go to heaven. He's dealt with it so we can be in and enjoy an ongoing relationship with God. And so God has made it possible for us to draw near. And so our hands can be cleansed. Our hearts can be purified. And then James specifically says, you double-minded. He says, hey, listen, that distraction that comes... 
Is anybody else familiar with that experience where when you sit down and decide, I'm gonna pray and spend some time with God, immediately all these things begin to pop into your head? It's amazing how unaware of my to-do list I am until it's time to pray. <laughs> and then I'm very aware, oh, I gotta do this and I gotta take care of that. And our, just, our minds can be filled with distraction. So, and so it takes intentionality to say, God, you wanna be with me and I can be with you. And God actually gives us it, it's strange. There's times where God feels distant, but I believe sometimes we miss out on the fact that that's a gift from him. He, he, he allows us the space to choose to say, God, I want to spend time with you. And he immediately responds to that and says, yes, I love to be with you. I love it when my kids seek me out and want to spend time with me, especially as they're getting older. You know, when they were younger, it was like, Sometimes there were moments where I feel like, I need a break. <laughs> like they need me all the time. They especially needed mom all the time, right? It was just like hanging on mom for everything. But as they get older, there's less and less of that. But when they choose to say, I wanna come spend time with dad, oh, that means the world. It's like, yeah, and I wanna spend time with you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. See, waiting on the Lord in prayer, it's not about doing this. It's not about just sitting around twiddling our thumbs, waiting for him to show up. Waiting on the Lord in prayer is about being aware that he's there and attentive to what he might say. And some of those, those pauses, those distractions that come into our minds, minutes, days, weeks, months, like seasons where we feel like we're stuck waiting, those are actually opportunities to deepen our relationship with him. Because I just say, Lord, I'm gonna choose to be aware. I'm gonna choose to be attentive. And when you're ready to speak, when you're ready to say something, I'm here. And so I want, I want you to see how this kind of unfolds because I, I think if we look at Abraham in this story, we get a glimpse of how we can be aware and we can be attentive, okay? So I want you to see some of this. Let's, let's back up a little bit now because I dropped this into the middle of the story this morning. Let's back up a little bit and see some things. So back to verses one and two where this story starts. Abraham is minding his, his own business. Um, it's probably, you know, a little bit hot. It seems to be in the middle of the day. And so he's hanging out where he can try to get comfortable and get some shade. He's by his tent. And so in Genesis 18, verse one, it says, and the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and he bowed himself down to the earth. There's a picture of awareness. God is there, but Abraham purposed to pay attention. It says he looked up and then he recognized him and he ran. He got near and then he positioned himself. He bowed down. See, awareness of the Lord is recognizing he's present, he's available, I can respond to him, and I put myself in the proper posture. He humbles himself. He bows before the Lord. He's our father and he loves us, but that's still a place of respect. It's a place of intimacy, but it's a place of respect. We get to call him daddy, Abba. We get to enjoy the intimacy of that relationship but we also revere him as father. And so he responds, he draws near. In other words, he recognized 
the significance of the company he was in. Think about that. He recognized the significance of the company he was in. He valued that God was present and he honored him. What if we begin to view prayer as that way? God, you are ever present with me. What an honor that the creator of the universe would make himself available to me. What an honor. And God, I can be aware of the fact that, that you're, you're here and you're present and you want to spend time with me and I can choose to draw near and just value that. Like, what a gift. And we talk about prayer in church. My hope is that, is that we don't just think about, oh, it's something I should do or I should do more or I should be better at it. That instead we would recognize, no, prayer is about the fact that the God of the universe, the Father who loved me, is near. His presence is valuable. He's to be honored and treasured. And so I can choose to be around him. I can choose to come before him. Awareness. Now, this first point isn't about just awareness. It's also about being attentive. Like once we recognize and choose to enter God's presence, we're attentive. And look at this beautiful picture we have from Abraham about how we're attentive to the Lord. Verse three now. And Abraham said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Now we're about to see a picture of what attentive service looks like, but I just wanted to pause and acknowledge that. Abraham's already recognized himself as a servant, attending to the Lord. What if we thought about waiting on the Lord, not as sitting and waiting, but like being a server, waiting on him the way someone would wait at us while we're at a table. I'm here to serve and to minister, and I'm available to respond to what you might ask me to do. And so he positions himself as a servant. And now I want, I'm just gonna go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. Watch at how he responds to the Lord. Watch this. Uh, verse six now. So he's attentive and he communicates his willingness and desire to serve. And now in verse six, it says, Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, Three seas of the fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it. We picking up on a theme here? <laughs> quickly, quick, ran. The servant prepares it quickly. Verse eight, then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and he set it before them and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. That entire posture is just a posture of being attentive to the Lord, being quick to serve and to respond to him, being present, ready to act if the Lord communicated something. That eager mentality, I love that. He was attentive, he was humble, he was serving. Listen, there is a time and a place absolutely in prayer where we bring our needs to the Lord. Absolutely. I don't want to diminish that. I don't want to belittle it. There, there is time where prayer is about talking to him, bringing our needs to him. He cares about the things we care about. He wants to meet our needs. But that is not the primary purpose of prayer. 
It's not. Abraham was not absorbed with what God could do for him. He wasn't absorbed with that. Instead, he was in awe of the fact that he was in God's presence and he just wanted to be near and to serve him. That's, that's our posture of prayer. See, it's not primarily about getting stuff from God. It's simply about being in relationship with him. Now, if I'm in relationship with him, I'm cultivating that relationship. Of course, the various things going on in my life are gonna come up. God, I'm worried about this. I'm stressed about this. I'm in need here. This person I care about is going through this thing, but it flows naturally out of the relationship. Uh, Pastor Dave Buring puts it this way. He says, often we approach prayer as if it were a monologue. Prayer is more than talking to God. It is a conversation with God. It involves speaking and listening. Because God is ever present, we can pray without ceasing. See, that's how we can pray without ceasing. It's not that I'm talking constantly. It's awareness. It's attentiveness. God is present and he's with me and I'm just, I'm ready to serve and respond to him. It's relationship-based. And so before we move to the next point, I just want you to consider God is with us all the time. And so the real perspective that, that we all ought to cultivate is, do I have an awareness and am I purposing to be attentive to him? It's a great way to start the day. Even if it's a, a 30 second prayer, God, thank you that you are present with me today. Here it is a random Monday and I got a whole lot in front of me today. Work's gonna be hectic. There's a lot going on with the kids. I'm facing a difficult decision, but God, I wanna start this day recognizing that you, the king of the universe, you're with me and you're ever present. God, help me to be aware of you today and help me to be attentive to your presence and what you're doing. It's just that little, I mean, you can do that in 30 seconds. You can do that on the, on the walk from your front door to your car. You can do it on the drive to work. You can do that brushing your teeth in the morning. Aware and attentive. It's that posture of young Samuel. We talked about Samuel a few weeks ago, right? It's just that simple posture where he was taught when the Lord showed up to just simply say, speak Lord for your servant hears. And that word hears, it means listening with the intent to obey. Attentive and aware. Speak Lord for your servant hears. May our starting point with prayer be about listening before speaking. Aware, attentive, ready to act. That's prayer. All right, number two. The second thing we're gonna see, I love this. As, as Abraham is posturing himself to be in God's presence, there's all kinds of things that begin to happen um, in their midst as they're communicating. And what we see cultivated in his heart is, is a heart that cares. There's this quality of caring that begins begins to be revealed in Abraham as he's spending time with the Lord. See, first God shows up and he just kind of serves him and spends time with him. Um, we're not focusing this morning on the part of this passage where Abraham receives this blessing from the Lord, but God, God blesses and affirms a promise that he's gonna have a child, a son, and that that son is coming within the year. And Abraham and Sarah are now very old. And this is the story, right, where Sarah laughs when she overhears it, like, yeah, right, I'm gonna have a kid in my 90s now. Like, it's that moment. But as we continue to move through that, Abraham is not even overly focused on that. 
He's just present with the Lord, paying attention to what he's doing. And so now in verse 16, it seems like everything has kind of wrapped up. He served the Lord, God blessed them. Things are starting to wrap up. And in verse 16, it says, then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. Just again, just notice he's lingering. Like he is soaking up as much time with the Lord and these other two folks there with him, angels, as much as he can. He goes with them. And now because he lingers, because he's spending time in the Lord's presence, because he's cultivating awareness and attentiveness, watch what takes place. Verse 17, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. See, the Lord is saying, I'm about to give Abraham some perspective and insight and it's because of our relationship. We, we have a real relationship. And I know I can trust Abraham because he's intending to live out what I pour into him. In other words, God recognizes Abraham's attentive. He's aware and he's attentive and I know I can trust him. And so he's gonna carry forward the things I give him. He's gonna pass them on to his children and his household. In other words, everything he's responsible for, Abraham's gonna allow what God says to touch every part of his life. And so God's saying, because of this relationship I have with Abraham and who he is, I'm gonna pour this insight into his life. See, in other words, what God cares about, he knows Abraham cares about. Because what God cares about, Abraham cares about. And being in God's presence like that, when he speaks, we grow. When he speaks, we grow. See, if I've purposed myself to care about what he cares about, I'm gonna be changed by that. It's gonna grow me, it's gonna change me, it's gonna mature me. And so now God lets him in on what's going on. Verse 20, then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done all together according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. I love this. God's telling Abraham, hey buddy, just so you know, I definitely hear prayers because I've heard a whole bunch of people saying something's wrong over here. Look at the damage this is causing. Look at the hurt that is happening. God's been hearing the cries of people saying, Sodom and Gomorrah, it's destructive. He hears that. And so he lets Abraham know, I'm leaning in on this. Now, Abraham is immediately aware that God cares about the trouble that's happening there. And he knows enough about God to believe God's gonna do something. God doesn't say in this specific verse that he's going to act. He just says, I'm leaning in to figure out if what I've heard is true. I'm paying close attention to what's happening there. Now watch this. I love this part of the story. We arrive back to where we started. This is the verse I dropped you in on. All right, so Abraham has spent time with the Lord. He's been aware, he's been attentive. God has affirmed that Abraham has this living relationship with him. And now he's letting Abraham know, I'm getting ready to do something. And now Abraham in verse 22 
So when the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham appeals to God on behalf of his character. He knows what God is like. He's cultivated this relationship with him. He's, he's gained perspective on God and his character. And so he appeals to him. He's, he's actually bargaining with God here. He's saying, hey, I know you're gonna go down and find a mess. Like Abraham knows about Sodom and Gomorrah. He's like, I know you're gonna go down and find a mess, but I'm just appealing to you. Will you, will you be merciful because of some good people who are there? And he appeals to God's character, his nature. He pleads for the people bargaining with God. And if you read the rest of the story, you know, after he hears that God's willing to relent for 50, Abraham's nervous. He's like, you know, man, the more I think about that place, I don't even know if there's 50 people in that city that are walking right, living right. And so he goes, okay, Lord, what about 45? God agrees to that. All right, Lord, what about 40? What about 30? What about 20? You know, he's just daring to bring the number lower and lower. And he gets down to 10. What about 10? And God says, even for 10, I will relent. Each time God agrees, it's, it's for two reasons. Man, I hope, I hope we see this. It's for two reasons. Number one, God agrees because he is just and merciful. He agrees because Abraham's act, asking according to his character. God's not doing something that's out of character for him. He is a just God who will deal with sin, but he's a merciful God. We see that ultimately in Jesus. That's how he dealt with sin in both justice and mercy. And so he, each time he relents to what Abraham is asking because of his own character. But friends, he also relents because he's being asked. He's being asked. He, he's allowing Abraham to initiate this whole thing. And this is actually in line with his character. God is looking for people who will engage with him about issues going on in the earth. This is what Ezekiel is talking about when he's prophesying. And the Lord says through Ezekiel in Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. In Ezekiel's day, there was no Abraham to stand in the gap. This is God's heart, that there would be people that think the way he thinks, who would view the world through the lens he views the world through. God is devastated by sin. Friends, grace is not about God not caring about sin. All too often, the church has tried to talk about God's love and by God's grace. And often we diminish sin when we do that. We try to make little of it. 
or begin to say certain things aren't even sins in order to make God look more loving. No, God cares deeply about sin because it, it destroys people. It destroys the life of the sinner and it harms and hurts and destroys the lives of others affected by the sin. God's not okay with sin, but it's, it's, it's not, it's not because he's mad at people. It's because he cares about people. He cares about the effects of sin that destroy. He cares about the sinners who are destroying their own lives. He is a righteous God. Listen, we're righteous. Just pay attention when something happens to you that's unfair and that righteousness will flare up quick. We care about righteousness, but we need mercy. <laughs> because we're a mess, because we're broken, because we're sinners. We need that mercy. And so what's beautiful about this picture is as Abraham is engaging in this relationship with the Lord, he's aware of him, he's attentive to him. He's, he's beginning to get insight into how God views the world around him. And Abraham's heart is changing and he's learning to care about what God cares about. And so he actually engages the Lord to come do something actively in the world. And God responds to him. He responds to him. I love that. If, if you want something to reflect on later, I'm not, I'm not gonna unpack and teach this Psalm. I just sort of wanted to put it on your radar. And this might even be a cool place to spend a little time this week as it relates to cultivating a heart that cares. But look at Psalm 130. It's a beautiful picture of exactly what's happening here between Abraham and the Lord. We're just gonna read the whole Psalm. It's eight verses. Psalm 130. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? We all need your mercy. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. He repeats it. You know, one of the biblical images of prayer is a watchman. I'm, I'm watching, I'm actively waiting to see God show up and do something. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel for all his iniquities. See friends, prayer that cares is rooted in the fact that God is a God of mercy and justice. He's a God of love. And friends, the ultimate act of prayer, why don't you think about this this morning? The ultimate act of prayer is Jesus on the cross. That's the ultimate act of prayer. The New Testament points to what he did on the cross and calls that intercession. He intercedes on our behalf. Jesus is helping meet the needs of people by interceding on our behalf. Sacrificial. He, this, is, this is what Hebrews is talking about. Hebrews 7, 25. Consequently, he, in reference to Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him 
since he always lives to make, make intercession for them. You know why prayer seems like such a sacrifice? Because it is. Prayer feels like a sacrifice because it is. But Jesus has already done it. He's already done the ultimate sacrificial act of stepping in on our behalf. He is the one who bridges the gap. He is the watchman on the wall. He's the ultimate Abraham here stepping in saying, I'll stand in for Sodom and Gomorrah. Do y'all see that? Jesus is the ultimate prayer warrior. And so when we're choosing to pray, to be aware, to be attentive, when we're choosing to begin to care about the things God cares about, it's gonna cost something. It's gonna feel sacrificial. Great. I'm becoming a little bit more like my Jesus. When prayer's difficult, hang in there. You're getting just a taste, a glimpse of the sacrifice of the ultimate prayer warrior. As we're aware and we're attentive, we begin to grow and become more and more like Jesus. When we choose to sacrifice in prayer, we begin to care more like Jesus does. Guys, that's what our world needs. It's not a throwaway thing when we talk about the church needing to pray for our nation, for our city, for our families. It's the first thing. It's the primary thing. Everything is rooted in it. It's the best action I can bring because what I'm saying is, God, I don't have the action to fix this, but you do. You have the action to fix this and you want to act on our behalf. You care about people. Jesus, you did it ultimately on the cross and you ever live still to intercede on our behalf. God, you want to move in the very places where the things are the worst off. God, that's where you wanna show up and move. And so as I pray, I do the main thing. I do the sacrificial work. And as I'm spending that time with the Lord, he's growing me, he's changing me. We learn to care about what God cares about. And what does God care about? People. He cares about people. And so we pray. And so I can bring my personal needs because I'm one of the people he cares about. But I bring the needs of others before him. We pray for one another because he cares about people. And I learned to care about people. One of the ways the Lord transformed, he's done this a few times in my life, but there was one really difficult relationship in my, my life for a long time. And I just, I was having a real problem like loving this specific person, forgiving them. Man, I just, I thought very low of them. And I felt pretty justified in it. Like I had a lot of um, data <laughs> that said my view was correct. <laughs> but I just began to realize like, Lord, I've got to figure out how to forgive this person. I got to figure out how to move forward. And one day I was, I was watching them. I just, I caught, like they caught my eye from a distance and suddenly the Lord just laid him on my heart so strongly. And he said, you need to start praying for him. And so I just began to pray for, for this guy. And as time went on more and more and more, God was softening and changing my heart towards him. And God began to give me eyes to have some grace for this guy. Like, man, well, look what he's been through and struggled with. And the Lord began to give me his heart and perspective on that guy. And I went from being unable to forgive to not only forgiving, I surprised myself one day when I realized 
God, I love that guy now. This wasn't a one-time moment. This wasn't a quick decision. And I don't wanna pretend like, well, I was just faithful every day to pray and that did it. No, like it was a struggle. It was a journey. Like months went by, but slowly but surely, God began to change my heart and change my perspective. And you know what? A long time went by till that relationship was healed, but I was getting healed. God was changing me and my perspective. He was softening my heart and giving me eyes. And then when there was opportunity for reconciliation, I was ready because my heart had been softened by the Lord. Does this make sense? All right, I wanna leave you with one last point this morning. And it, friends, it's, such a, it's, it's a simple point, but it's crucial. Friends, prayer is about having hope. It's about having hope. You don't pray if you're hopeless. You won't talk to God about it if you think there's no point. If we've thrown our hands up and given up, it's about hope. I wonder what would have happened if Abraham had dared to ask for more. He stopped at 10. You know what? There weren't 10 people in Sodom who were righteous. We're told in the New Testament that righteous Lot was rescued out. There was one, maybe a couple daughters. Things were a little iffy with his wife there, if you know the story. Um, there was one. Now God did spare the one righteous. He got him out. But would all of Sodom and Gomorrah have been spared if Abraham had had the courage to pray with a little bit more hope and say, God, if there's one? I don't know. What if our hope were to match the size of God's grace? I shrink my hope down so small. What if the size of our hope could match the size of God's grace? What if we dared to be hopeful in prayer? I wanna just read how it ends. Genesis 18, 32 and 33. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak again, but this once. <laughs> he feels like he's reached the most he can ask, right? Suppose 10 are found there and God answered for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way and we had finished speaking to Abraham. Abraham returned to his place. Like Abraham dared to hope, right? He got to 10, that's pretty awesome. I, I don't even know if I would have asked, right? I would have been like, yeah, take them out. <laughs> it's a mess. They're right there in Abraham's backyard. Like, Lord, this would be great if they were just gone. But he had hope to see maybe God can save this whole city, even if there's just a few in it. So he did dare to hope. He did dare to hope. See, here's the, here's the beauty of this. I want you to see this. When we dare to hope like that, what we're doing is we're putting our trust in him. See, do you realize like, like all the things we're called to do, to be aware, to be attentive, to care, God already does all of that. Our prayer of hope is believing he's attentive and he is aware and he does care. And so in hope, I approach God and say, God, be attentive to this. Be aware of this. Would you come with all your care and all your love and do something here? Well, I dare to hope like that. 
And see, friends, here's the cool thing. When we take whatever hope we have and we verbalize it, that hope, it matures into faith. When I take the hope that is in my heart and I put it into words, that hope becomes a step of faith. And faith can grow and produce much fruit. There have been times where I have been scared to ask God for something because what if he says no? I have squashed hopes and dreams because I thought it would be easier to protect myself and not be disappointed. Let's dare to hope. Let's dare to hope. Whatever little bit we have to muster, let's bring it to him in prayer and watch that hope become faith and begin to see our God who is aware and attentive and he cares for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we're just in awe of you, who you are, how you act on our behalf, your love for us, your patience with us. Thank you that you are just enough that you want to right wrongs. Thank you, God, that you are merciful and forgive us and give us a fresh start. God, I pray just whatever fruit would come out of this morning, that none of it would be rooted in any sense of guilt or shame or beating ourselves up for not spending enough time with you. Just pray that would go away. And God, we would just hear your loving invitation that if we draw near to you, you draw near to us that if, if we purpose to become more aware of your presence, we'll find that you are already right there engaged and aware of us. Lord, that if we purpose to be attentive, to serve, to respond to you, that we'll find you are already attentive. You're already acting always on our behalf. And God, as we learn to care for you, for others, God, we would see how much you already love and care for us. God, may we dare to hope. May we dare to put our hope into prayer and watch what happens when we trust you. Do that in our hearts. Do that in our lives. God, do that in this church. Do it in our city, Lord. Rise up, raise up watchmen. Raise up people who will stand in the gap. Help us grow in prayer. Help us cultivate this discipline as a lifestyle in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.